Would you open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2? Uh, we're going to look at uh, verses 11 through 14, and I'm going to read that to us this morning because it's going to have everything to do with what I want to present to the entire church and uniquely in a moment to our children uh, who I'm going to ask to come join me uh, this morning before they're dismissed for Kids Church. As Eric said, the title of our sermon this morning is God with us in hope. Um, the reason I, don't, I didn't want the kids to leave is, is there's, I think there's just something in this text and something and hopefully in the way we're summarizing the text with the kids that will stay with the kids and will stay with us for, till Jesus comes. My hope is that this could be something that husbands and wives could remind each other about till Jesus comes. That parents and their children could remind each other about till Jesus That children could remind their parents about till Jesus comes. Till brothers and sisters can remind us each other of till Jesus comes. And that's why I want them all to be in for this first um, moment. Because I hope to establish the theme of the text with our children here. Um, And we're going to focus this morning on the grace that God has given us in the first coming of Christ and the glory that is awaiting us in the second coming of Christ. Um, So would you join me in reading the text this morning, Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, and then I want to invite our kids to come join me on the platform. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So with the kids uh, ages five through fifth grade, come and join me right over about here. Five through fifth grade. And then we'll send off the kids for kids ministry in just a minute. So guys, go ahead and take a seat, just, to sit, just, just anywhere, just right in here. I'm going to stay standing. <clears throat> As our kids are coming, moms and dads, guys, I'm going to ask you to look this way. If you, I know that's kind of awkward because you're sitting, sit, but can you turn this way? Can you look this way? And, and y'all come on over here, Okay. It, I, want, I want everybody, let's, let's try to get over. You can sit up here. You can sit up here. Come on, guys. Come on over here. Yeah, come on all the way over here. Yeah, you can circle up. This is fine. This is great. Um, what I want to tell you is, you know, you learn a lot. You know, aging hopefully teaches you, the Lord hopefully teaches you things through aging. And, and there, there's something I wish I would have done that maybe, maybe you can learn from my mistake. Uh, mistake, I don't know, short-sightedness, just didn't get it. You know, as a dad, I tried to teach the kids, my sons, about the, the birth of Christ and the importance of the incarnation. As a dad, I tried to teach my sons the importance of the crucifixion of Christ and the amazing price he paid for sinners like us 
so that we could be saved. I, I tried to teach my sons about the resurrection of Christ and how important it is that Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. But you know what I didn't do really much of at all? Is to teach my kids a lot about the second coming of Christ. And, and so I want to kind of take you on a journey of what I wish I would have done with my sons. And I'm going to kind of do, do this journey with you guys. So you can just pretend I'm your weird uncle today. Okay? Um, so here's what I want to do, guys. I want us to, to I'm, I'm going to say a, a few words today. I'm going to ask you to repeat those words after me. But they're in our text this morning. And I actually heard this illustration first, if several years ago, from a pastor that we love named C.J. Mahaney, Mahaney. And it's, the phrase is this, look both ways. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. That's the first phrase. So how many of you have learned, your parents have taught you how to cross a street? How many of you, especially a busy street? So what do you do? What do your parents tell you before you cross a busy street? What do they tell you? Look both ways because it's the only safe way. And, st okay, and well, there are other rules and regulations too. Yes, that's right. That's right. So what we need to do today, if we're going to be safe crossing a street, we need to look both ways because if you just look this way and you start going, uh-oh, what could happen? <laughs> yeah, wow. We could get wiped out, right? That is, that is one way to put it. Yes, a, pa a pancake. We could be a pancake. Yes. So here's what we want to do, guys. You know what? If you're going to be spiritually safe in this life, you know there's, there's a lot more dangerous things than cars. Sin is the most dangerous thing you're ever going to face. Satan and demons are dangerous things you're going to face. Temptation is, is, is you're going to face horrible, horrible things. And the only safe way to, to live life as a Christian is to look both ways. And so what do I mean by that? Well, one way we're going to look is look back at what? At Christ's death on the cross. And we put it all together, don't we? We want to look back at the fact that, that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became a man. He was born, he was, a, he was a baby, laid in a manger. He, but he was a person so he could die for our sins, right? Isn't that amazing? So you could be forgiven and you could go to heaven and you could have eternal life. It's a great, great, great news, isn't it? But that wasn't the only part of the story, was it? We're wanting to look both ways. We're wanting to not only look at what Jesus did in his birth, in his crucifixion, in his resurrection, but we want to look another way. So here's what I want you to start getting with me. Can you say with me this? Look both ways. Christ has come. Okay, that's the first part of what we're doing. Here's the second part of what we're doing. I want, here's what, if, if I could do over with my boys, here's what I would have done with them. So I'm going to take you on a little journey today. We're going to talk about Christ coming again. So the first thing we're going to look at, we're going to look over here. We've got a couple of pictures for you to look at this morning. This is a, wow, what a weird picture to put up on a Sunday morning. Isn't that a weird picture? You know what? Yeah, it is a grave, sweetheart. It is. So here's what I would have done with my kids. I would have taken them to the cemetery, and we would have had a Bible study. And here's what we would have talked about. We would have talked about 
how the wages of sin is death. The punishment for sin is death. But not just dying and being put in a grave. It's your body's put in a grave, but your spirit would go and be forever being punished for your sin in hell. That's a, hor- that's a, horrible, that's a horrible punishment, isn't it? But it's what sin deserves. But isn't it good that Jesus died on the cross instead of us? So that he could take our sin away. And then you know what he promises? He promises that if he doesn't come before we die, we, we're all going to die someday. But our body will go to, the, to be buried. But our spirits will go where? To be immediately with him in heaven. Well, here's the great news. When Jesus comes the second time, what do you think cemeteries are going to look like? What do you think is going to happen? Because the Bible says God is going to raise up the dead bodies of Christians, right? He's going to raise them up and they're going to be perfect. They're going to be perfect. They're never going to get sick. They're never going to die. They're going to have full joy and full, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. And they're going to, I don't know how it's going to happen, but they're, I guess they're going to come bursting out of the ground. And those perfect bodies are going to be rejoined with the spirit that has already been with Jesus in heaven. And oh my goodness, guys, is that going to be an amazing day when Christ comes again? That's so cool, isn't it? Let's keep going. Let's look at another picture. Oh, look at this. Guys, isn't the world amazing? Isn't God's creating the world amazing? Look how beautiful, how awesome these mountains are and that lake and the trees and that is amazing. Well, you know what's more amazing? The animals. Is who made it. It's who made it. If that looks so amazing, then how amazing is God? Well, you know what? Here's what's crazy. Look how beautiful this is in a world of sin. Look how beautiful this is in a world where people hate each other and kill each other. And yet God still let there be beauty in the world. You guys, what is the world going to look like when Jesus comes again and he makes it, he makes it all new? What did you say? So beautiful. It's going to be so beautiful, sweetheart. That's exactly right. Let's, let's, think of, let's, go, let's go one more. How about this? I want you to think about your favorite food right now. Just, you don't have to say it. Just think about it. What is your favorite food? I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about what it tastes like. Oh, I want you to act. Just, just think about eating it right now. Oh, isn't it exciting? I don't know what that might be for you. I don't know if it's a Chick-fil-A nugget or if it's a, I don't know what it is. But I want you to think about this. What would happen when God gave you a new body and you had, would have perfect taste buds when Jesus comes back? If, you know what? Food should taste like dirt because of our sin. But he made it still taste good still, didn't he? You know what? What do you think it's going to taste like when Jesus comes again? So good. So good. I'm going to hire you. I'm going to hire you. One last thing. I just want one of you to help me with this. Who gives the best hugs in your family? Okay. Okay, Jesus, <laughs> we're going there. Tudor, can you stand up? Either my grandma or my grandpa. Is, but, but is your, they're not here, are they? They are. Your grandparents are here? Could, could you invite them up to join us? <laughs> Surprise! 
<laughs> so these, these two give pretty good hugs, huh? Would you come up and hug your granddaughter? Give her the biggest, most awesome, loving hug you ever have given her. Oh, that, yeah. Oh, that, that, that suits this illustration well. Okay, sweetheart, I want you to think about something. That was wonderful, wasn't it? What will it be like when Jesus comes again and it will be Jesus that is loving you like that. Just like when the father, when the prodigal came home to the father. And he, he, the Bible says he kissed him and kissed him and kissed him and kissed him and he hugged him. What will it be like when Jesus comes again? It will be perfect. <laughs> Amen, sister. Amen. <laughs> guys, thank you for helping me. You're, you're, we'll dismiss you guys to kids ministry now. So wait, wait, wait. Hang on one second. Hang on. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what, what, what are we going to do? We're going to look both ways. Say that with me. Look both ways. Christ has come. Christ is coming again. Let's do it one more time. Look both ways. Christ has come. Christ is coming again. I love you guys. Thank you so much for helping me. No, sweetie. Well, I can t- we can talk about it after church, okay? I would love to talk to you after church. Okay, sweetie, that's okay. That's okay. You can talk to your mom and dad, and they can help you with that, okay? Awesome. Awesome. Well, here's our main point this morning. When we meditate on Christ's first and second coming, God gives us grace to grow in holiness and in happiness and in hopefulness as we seek to finish the work that Christ began. I think this is going to be so important uniquely for our local church in 2023 and beyond. So our first point this morning is let's look to the grace that appeared in the first coming of Christ. Let's look at the grace that appeared in the first coming of Christ. Don't you love this? Just just this pronouncement in verse 11. The grace of God has appeared. Guys, that should really... That should bring us to our knees. Because that's not what should appear to sinners. What should appear to sinners is the judgment of God. That's what we should be expecting. How amazing is it that the grace of God has appeared? You might ask, well, hasn't God always been gracious? And yes, he has. The scripture just will again and again speak of his eternal graciousness. But something has uniquely has happened in the first coming of Christ. That grace has become embodied. That grace has become incarnate. That grace has become flesh in the appearing of Jesus. So think about, here, I'm just going to list off that what, what happened in his first coming. I want you to be just under the umbrella of grace has appeared. Grace appeared when the eternal Son of God was born into the world as a real man to rescue his people from sin and judgment. 
He perfectly obeyed the law of God in his thoughts, in his works, in his motives. He died as a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of his people and was punished as though he had committed each and every one of our sins in both thought and deed. He was raised up from the dead on the third day in victory over death and to prove that God accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. He ascended to God's right hand to put all of his enemies under his feet. He sends his spirit to regenerate and indwell and empower his people. And he saves forever more those who come to him because he ever lives to make intercession for them. Grace has appeared, wouldn't you say? Whoa, yes, it has. So let's unpack the text further. It's grace for salvation. He offers grace of salvation. And it says, the grace of salvation is offered to all people. Sadly, though, because we know because of total depravity in the human heart, not all people will be saved. Oh, but God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. And by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, he has chosen to save people from every tongue, tribe, race, and nation. All kinds of people will be saved. All kinds of people will be saved. All races, all ethnicities, all languages, all kinds of people. And it's a grace that is unearned. And it's a grace that is undeserved. And it's a grace that's actually given in spite of what we deserve. Here's how Titus, Paul says in his teaching Titus in the next chapter. Here's how he puts it. And this is just so good. Let's, let's see ourselves in this text. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, there's that word again, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is an awesome salvation. And so when you think of salvation, especially in this context, there's really, there's, to, to describe a fully orbed salvation, I think a lot of times we just limit it to being saved from the penalty of sin. Well, that's a part of it. So can't we say amen that we've been saved from the penalty of sin? Yes, amen to that. But it's more than that. We've also been saved from the power of sin. Sin no longer has to rule us. Amen? Amen? Because grace has appeared. But it's not only that. One day, remember? Look both ways. Look both ways. One day, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. Oh, Lord, come quickly. Amen? Oh, guys. So that's the salvation that, that when, he, when he's saying that, to Titus as, as an elder to teach the people in, in uh, Crete. He, this is the salvation he's talking about. 
Um, but it's not just grace to be saved. It's not just grace to get into heaven. It's a grace that changes us. So we just stop right now and I want you just to think. You know, we kind of all do a little inventory at the time of the new year. Where are you a little bit disappointed that you didn't grow more in 2022? It shouldn't be hard to think about, right? Those things kind of rise to the surface. Um, Isn't it good news to know that God gave grace for transformation? And it was grace. That's the form that it comes in. You're not going to have to earn this. God gives this to us as his gift, as a part of our salvation. So what does this grace do? The Bible says in verse 12, it trains us. It teaches us. Well, what's the training element? What, what is it? Is there some spiritual gymnasium we go to? Well, I don't know. I guess you could say it is if you define it as God's word. Have you noticed in Paul's letters, he often begins the letters by saying, grace be to you. Grace be to you. And what he's saying is that the words that are following are God's inerrant, sufficient, authoritative, and inspired words. And these words are a river of grace to provide salvation and sanctification for our souls. And then did you notice that Paul ends his letters by saying, grace be with you. So he starts it by saying grace to you because everything that he says is a river of grace to change us and transform us and inspire us and heal our broken hearts and give us comfort and courage to do mission for him. But then when we close your, your book at the end of a devotion or we, we, we dismiss a morning service and we close our Bibles, he says grace be with you because this is a living word, isn't it? This is an abiding word that will continue to walk with you and transform you through every challenge that you face. And haven't you experienced that? I, I wish that, I wish in some ways we could have a testimony service right now to say, oh my goodness, I got to tell you how God's grace has been with me this year. This is how it's been with me. I still have hope even though I'm living in a hopeless situation. I mean, I don't, you fill in the blanks. But this is what happens. This is the training that Paul is speaking about. There's a training, a teaching that God's word gives us that is transformative. And it carried the idea that this is not only divine words communicated to us through the text. This is, this is really involving the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In 2023, as you do your Bible reading, I want to invite you to just take a breath before you dive into reading and acknowledge not only your need for the Holy Spirit to help you understand it, but God's joy to give you the Holy Spirit to help you understand it. I'm I'm just concerned that too many times for me, when I read my Bible, I just feel like I'm just trying to get myself some spiritual information for the day that's not really involving the person of the Holy Spirit helping me with that word that I'm reading. Does that make sense? So that's what, when, when the text is talking about this, it's speaking of somebody who is personally teaching you the way a teacher would lead a student, step by step in their lessons. 
Yeah, personally teaching you and correcting you and counseling you and comforting you and encouraging you, guiding you and convicting you. This teaching and training is not just information from God. This is how God transforms the human heart. It's grace that helps us grow in the character and mission of Christ. So let's keep going down through the text. So what does this grace first do? Well, first Paul says, here's what it teaches us not to do. Do you know, gosh, everybody in the world that we're living in, especially the church world, sometimes you even wonder, does... Does people, do people still have it in their Christian category that you, we are to say no to things? We are to say no to things. What does it say here? We're to renounce or deny ungodliness. It's like living like there's no God. That's the Holy Spirit. Where am I living like there's no God? And we're to renounce worldliness, worldly desires. You know, this Bible summarizes those as the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. I guess we could, we could, we could categorize those things as things that I want and I think I need more than Jesus. That's the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Or things that I already have. And I love them more than Jesus, and I'm not willing to let them go. Boastful pride of life. So I already have this, and I don't want to let it go. Because I think if I lose it, I'm going to lose life. I'm going to lose hope. Where is God dealing with us in regard to ungodliness and worldliness in our life? Well, grace teaches us to say no to these things. It's, it's appeared to help guide us and guard us in, in what we watch and how much we watch it. In what we drink and how much we drink it. In what we love and how much we love it. And in what we play and how much we play it. But you guys, it's more than just saying no. It's, it's more than just saying no. It's also about God putting in us a growing desire to know and love and serve and obey and become like Jesus. Look how Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Man, that's a home run verse, isn't it? Isn't it so good that God's just, Christianity is just not saying, no, you can't, thou shalt not. It's not that at all. It involves that, but why, why would we say no in the first place? Because we're saying yes to something far better. That's what this is getting. And that God himself, by the grace that appeared in the first coming of Christ, puts in us a desire to grow. I mean, think about this. You guys, are you, how many, if you don't mind raising, I don't think this would be an, an embarrassing thing to raise your hand on. How many of you have been Christians for more than 10 years? Okay, praise God. That's awesome. How have you, how have you stayed being a Christian for 10 years? Is it because you are the spiritual dynamo of your family? It's because God is at work in you, giving you a desire to follow him, 
The Spirit is sustaining our salvation. It's, it's not us. If it were up to us to stay saved, I don't think anyone would be saved. But the Spirit is at work in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And this is awesome. When grace is at work in you, it works to take away a love for sin. I, I think in my battle for sin, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking of the external level of my battle of sin. I just need, I'm a hand slapper. <laughs> just, Billy, no. You know, be a good Christian. No, be a good Christian. Is, 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 is the extension of my hand after the sin the main problem? No, it's the heart. You know what the good news of being a Christian is? God can take away the love of the sin. The problem is, I love sin. It's not just that it's a bad habit. Come on, guys. We, we, we sometimes knew, we, we sometimes... I don't know, try to make sin weirdly acceptable and it, we just relegate it to, oh, it's a bad habit. No, no, it's not. It's that I love it. I love it. And I'm, and I'm so thankful to you, God, that you have put your spirit in me and you have given me a desire to love you more than it. And I need to grow in it and I still battle with it, but I would be lost without you. I would be lost without you giving me a love that is superior to my love for sin. And so God, in 2023, would you flood our church family with that love? With a love that actually reduces the desire for sin because our love for it is dying and our love for Jesus is growing. Amen? Oh, you guys, listen, this is Thomas Chalmers. The Puritans had so many great things to say about this kind of stuff. Read along with me. I mean, not out loud, but read along in your notes with me. He put it this way. The love of the world cannot be expunged by a mere demonstration of the world's worthlessness. <laughs> That's a mouthful. I mean, really, be honest. Have you ever just thought of a sin habit, a sin love that you have and you just go, well, I don't know why I do it. It's worthless. But, but regardless of how worthless you consider it to be, we still manage to love it. Oh, look what he says. But may it not be supplanted by the love of that which is more worthy than itself? The love of God and the love of the world are two affections, not merely in a state of rivalship. Just in case you think, what is that a typo? That, no, that was his words. In a state of rivalship, but in a state of enmity. And that they're so irreconcilable, they cannot dwell together in the same bosom. The heart is not so constituted. And the only way to dispossess it of an old affection, think of love of sin, is by the expulsive power of a new one, i.e. a love for Christ. That's the good news. That's what grace appears and trains us to be able to do. 
Psalm 119, I think, captures this. How sweet are your words to, to my taste, O Lord, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding, and therefore I hate every false way. You see what's happening there? The sweetness of God is, is ex, it, the expulsive power of the affection that God's word is producing in our lives. It's it, it's, ex, what's the word? Expulding. It's expelling? Expulsive. It's getting rid of that old affection that I have. Oh, may 2023, you guys, be marked not merely by the things we're trying to say no to. May 2023 be marked by the things that we're saying yes to. Oh God, yes, I want to grow in love for you. I want to grow in the knowledge of your word. I want to acknowledge the ministry, the active presence of the Holy Spirit as I study and I pray this year. And, and so here's what he goes for, further to say. Here's what grace trains us to do, to live self-controlled lives. Okay, some meddling. Where did a lack of self-control make your life harder in 2022? I want you to think in your marriage. Where has a lack of self-control hurt your marriage? Where has a lack of self-control hurt your parenting? Where has a lack of self-control hurt your, hurt your devotion to the body of Christ? Where has your lack of self-control diminished your witness to the world and sharing the gospel to the world? Where has your lack of self-control caused you to have weird thoughts about money? Why? You know, the book of Proverbs says that, that someone without self-control is like a city without walls. What does that mean? If we're not growing in the grace of self-control, we're vulnerable to every other sin. Don't just think, oh, I lack self-control in this area. It's a heart issue. It's, it's like a leaven that if it's not dealt with and mortified, it grows into another area. Self-control makes us so open and vulnerable. How many of us said things this year that we go, I still can't believe I said that to my wife. I, I hate the impatient tone I speak to my wife, Jan. I, I, I am so distracted by so many worries and so many doubts and so many fears. And I speak so impatiently and angrily to her. Oh God, would I grow in the grace of self-control. And isn't it good to know he's given us the grace for self-control. But just remember what it is. It's not just, just tightening your belt a notch. You know what self-control is? It's being controlled by the love of God. It's being controlled by the love of neighbor. That's what self-control is. So God, help us grow in love for God and neighbor so that we could live self-controlled lives. It's being controlled by the Holy Spirit of love to live upright lives. It's grace is training us to do. It's how we live righteously toward our neighbor. Living godly lives, meaning we're devoted to God. We're becoming more like him. We're seeking first his kingdom and righteousness and seeking his glory in all that we do. And then the text ends by saying all of this is taking place in this present age. And it almost seems like if you're, if you're just kind of rushing through your, your word that, that you can almost kind of discount those few words. 
don't think we can discount those few words. I think it's important to remember the age we're living in. It says in this present age, meaning that it's not going to be easy. You're not going to get some pie in the sky thing from this pulpit. 2023 may be a harder year than you've ever experienced in your life under the loving hand of God. It's not to disappoint us or discourage us. It's the present age we're living in. What's the age between the first coming and the second coming of Christ? We got to remember that. The, our study in Revelation taught us we're living in the last days from the, from the first coming to the second coming. Those are the last days. These are the days of tribulation. Not necessarily the great tribulation, but we're living in a spiritual battleground. And I just think we just lose sight of it. I just think I'm just, I'm just I'm, I, I wake up and I think of my to-do list and I think of budgets and I think of sermon preparations and I, all the different things. And I totally forget the age I'm living in. There's a war between the flesh and the spirit. There's pain and persecution. There's sorrow and seduction. And it will grow worse as Christ's coming draws near. The earth is subjected to futility, i.e. 5.4 earthquake the other day. Natural disasters and groans. The earth is groaning in a longing for the coming of Christ. Because that's what happened when sin came. The earth was subjected to futility. Now, I want to ask you this. Did anybody... We tried to, to work real hard on this during the Revelation study. I was in my office when that earthquake hit. And I've been in an earthquake once in California. I've always laughed at our Texas earthquake because it just seems like it's like that. Right? It's, it's just... Yeah, but, ooh, that was weird. And it just gone. Not this one. My shelves were still shaking after the, after the earth quit shaking. It was, it was so weird. It was so weird. But I thought, wait a minute. Okay, this is, this is a little ominous. But this is like labor pains. <coughs> These are the labor pains. The, the, near, the nearness of Christ coming again. It's, it's closer than I think. And I, I, I got to a point where I quit being so freaked out about the earthquake and I started celebrating the fact that this earthquake is reminding me that Christ is coming soon. Oh, that's the world we're living in. It's a world of sickness and death. It's a world of Satan's attacks and lies and accusations and condemnations. It's a world where the antichrists of this world are, are pursuing the worship of people and, and trying to get them devoted and submitted to their forms of government, even if it means oppression and persecution of Christians. It's a world filled with false prophets, with false gospels that offer prosperity in the name of someone named Jesus, without Jesus, without the true Jesus instead of and instead it's really just following worldliness under the guise of Christianity under the guise of religion and it's all in the powers of darkness and who better to sustain us in between the advents than Emmanuel so we've been studying all advent God with us he'll give us the grace we need to sustain us through every one of these situations and and trials there can be times when you're feeling like you're losing hope in between the advents. And I don't know what your hopeless feelings might have been this year. Uh, for me, it's, it, it, it's, it's still, there's, there's ongoing sin issues in my life. 
that I just am still so discouraged that they're so slow to die. And I, I confessed at our testimony service the other night that I grew, I grew so hopeless that I quit trying to, to fight them. Have you ever been that way? It's a weird thing. It's a, it's a backwards thing. It's a, not a right thing to do. But I justified it. I just thought, well, I, I guess I'm just never really going to overcome this sin. And uh, so I'm, I'm just quit trying, and I'll just keep committing it. It's such a hopeless feeling. Seeing a loved one with a sickness that all of the medical treatments are not curing, it can be hopeless. Worrying about an adult child who seemed to once love Jesus when they were in their teens, but now they just actually seem to hate Jesus. It can feel hopeless. Where do we turn? Where do we look for fresh hope? And that's the third point. We look to the grace of our unfailing hope in the second coming of Christ. And that's verses 13 and 14. When it says waiting or looking for our blessed hope, it means that we're being intentional about it. So here's another encouragement for 2023 and beyond. Could you build into your spiritual disciplines that you would at least once a week include in your, in your devotional life a text that is reminding you that Jesus is coming again. Just a reminder. Just a reminder. Your hope needs it. Your hope needs that. And so that's what, the, there's an intentionality that Paul is talking about here. We're intentionally looking for our blessed hope. Blessed means happy. It's a happy hope. Why is it happy? Because it's a confident expectation of the certainty that Christ is coming again to make all things new. And that's all things new personally. That's all things new corporately as God's people. It's all things new globally. It is a guarantee that he's coming again. It's an eternal future that will be far better than the greatest happiness we've ever experienced in this fallen world. And it's able to remove actually all of the agony and pain that we've suffered in this life. That is what is ahead of us. And he says it's because of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Guys, this isn't a new teaching. Job was sustained. Think of the misery that Job went through. Job was sustained by the thought of his Redeemer coming again and, and standing on the earth. Look at your notes. One of the, I, I, just a favorite passage for so many. For I, in fact, you've got the notes. Would you read it with me out loud? For I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. And now what he said, he said, my heart faints at that thought. My heart's not fainting at my trials. My heart's not fainting at my pain and my sorrow. My heart is melted afresh at the love of my God. And we have far more reason to believe this than Job did, right? 
Jesus has come. We look back that way and we know grace has appeared in his first coming, which gives us promises like this in Revelation 21. Would you read this out loud with me? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I want to encourage you, think about the trial that has most beset you. All of us have some sense of suffering or sorrow or lack or need that we're facing today. And I want you to, this was a thought that was shared with me years ago, and it's been an encouragement over the, over the years to me. When you think of the suffering and sorrow of your life, this is the phrase that was shared with me. This is nothing that the second coming of Christ won't cure. Just, would you just meditate on that? Think about what you're going through and how hard it might be. Oh, but this is nothing that the second coming of Christ won't cure and that Christ will comfort, encourage, and empower me until that day. So it's not just I'm waiting by myself for that great and glorious day. Christ is with me, comforting me, consoling me, encouraging me. And strengthening me. And how do we know he'll do this? Because verse 14 says, he, it's, here we go, it's looking both ways, because he gave himself up for us. He was crushed and wounded and beaten and chastised and bruised and bloodied to redeem us from all lawlessness, the text says. There's no more guilt at all remaining. No condemnation because it all fell on him. He exhausted God's wrath so that we could become his treasured possession. I'm a baseball nut. There was this time where the Red Sox and Yankees were playing, and it was a time where the Red Sox were finally getting ready to start winning and all this kind of stuff. And, and there was this phrase that went back and forth between the clubs about players, and one of this phrase was, Who's your daddy? Da, 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 da. Who's your daddy? Meaning, who owns you? Who owns you? That pitcher owns you. You're 0 for 12 against him. He owns you. Who owns you? Because of the blood that Jesus shed for our sins. You are God's treasured possession. I don't know if you came in this morning and you feel like, Gosh, more recently, I feel like my sin has owned me more than my Savior. I feel like my fear has owned me more than my Savior. I feel, 
like hopelessness has owned me, or worry, or unbelief, or guilt, or shame. Isn't it wonderful to know that he spared not his own life to make you his treasured possession? He owns you. And he'll take really good care of those he owns. Amen. So what kind of people should we be in Christ's grace and glory? And I'm saying this, you guys, this is an interesting time in our church history. There are so many new people and so many long-standing members of our church. How does, how does God take a lot of new relationships and work them together for a common mission and common purpose because of a common love. I think this text really helps answer that for us. I think that, that, that when we look both ways at his first coming and at his second coming, it's, it, it, we become a people who pursue purity together, who hunger for holiness who desire to grow in the character of Christ. And I, I would say this maybe to the younger people, but maybe this is a word for all of us. You know, we've just really not made enough of the beauty of Christ-like maturity. We, we've, I, I don't know if we've avoided the teaching of holiness and purity because it sounds like legalism. Did you know that maturity is your best defense against sin and temptation? Maturity is. Do you know Christ-like maturity? Do you know Christ-like maturity is what really will deliver you through your trials? Because the mind of Christ is becoming your mind. The things God loves is becoming the things you love. And I just, I'm, I'm, I've watched too much Star Trek <laughs> growing up. I, I just want the beam me up Scotty kind of idea of Christianity rather than, Lord, make me pure. Make me more like you. Because becoming more like you is my greatest defense against sin and my greatest delight to honor you with my life. But we're, we're, it's not only Christ-likeness in character, it's also Christ-likeness in our work, in Christian work. Because if we're growing in the character of Christ, it also must mean we're growing in the mission of Christ, in the work of Christ. Please, please don't somehow weirdly separate that I'm going to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I'm going to grow in those things. But I'm not going to grow in ministering to other people and I'm not going to grow in reaching the lost with the gospel. No, that's just like, that is like, I don't know what that's like. It's not right, though. If we're growing in the character of Christ, we would grow not only in, in who he is and what he's like, we will grow in what he does. We'll grow in doing what he does. We'll grow in doing the works that he does. And the way the Bible describes it here is not just now and then works. It's that we'll become a people zealous for good works. Oh, my God, bring that on. Make us a people zealous for good works, people who are united together for gospel good works, not works that are earning salvation at all, works that are actually empowered because of our salvation, good works of ministering to one another in our local church. 
ministry that helps each other look both ways. The grace of Christ has come and the grace that Christ is coming again. Hebrews 10, uh, 23 and 25 is in your notes. It's our last note. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful and let us, look at the plural, right? God with us, God with us. Let us Consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There should be a regular experience of everybody in this church. This is our prayer, that everybody in this church would have people in their lives that help us look both ways. We look back that Christ has come, and we're helped to look forward that Christ is coming again. And we remember that right now God is with us, and, and we in him can conquer all things for his glory together. There are people like that in our church that are helping us look both ways. And one of those people is Tom Strobe. Tom is battling liver cancer. And unless, unless he would tell you, it would, you wouldn't know it. As much as, as I, and I could say this for our pastoral team, we want to minister to Tom. And Tom's really frustrating to minister to. Because he's ministering to us. Tom helps me look both ways. Tom is amazed at the undeserved grace that the appearing of Christ has given to him. And Tom has unfailing hope and joy at the thought of meeting Christ face to face. It's not just Tom. Vanessa, when, when her mom died, and the sorrow of, 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 of losing a mom at a young age and the grandchildren and what they experience. I saw in Vanessa. She didn't even know she'd doing it. But she helped me look back that Christ has come. And she helped me look forward that Christ is coming again. What do you do if you don't have those people in your life? You'll forget. And you'll be buried under with, with unnecessary sorrows. They're sorrows. But, but you'll be buried under by unnecessary sorrows. So what, what kind of people should we be with this kind of, of life? Well, we, we're a gospel-centered people in our doctrine. But that gospel doctrine should be promoting a gospel culture in our church family. And so what that means is this. I think the challenges that we face in our future, we can't meet them by merely attending the church. The challenge we, challenges we face will be met by loving the church, not attending the church. If you're new with us today, I, I think it's, this, it, it's a concept that seems to be diminished in, in the body of Christ that that we go to a church because of the, the boxes it checks for me. But one of the boxes that's not really checked is that I'm going to this church because I want to love these people. And I'm so thankful that I'm being loved by these people. That's how we're going to handle Guys, the Lord's grown, for whatever reason, for his purposes, he's growing our church in number. 
The only way we can handle that is not by just, we, please, we are, pray for us. We are, we are asking the Lord, God, please don't give us some administrative program to just get people where they need to be. And God, would you help us love through this? Help us love the Savior more through this. Help us love each other more. Would you, would you birth in our hearts a love for the people, the one anotherness of our church? That's what's going to bring us through the challenges that we face. So that, that means if serving the gospel to the next generation from eight months to 12th grade, that means we'll do it. Why? Because that's what love does. If it means that serving our young adults, our young marrieds, our young parents as mentors and disciple makers, then we'll do it because that's what love does. If it means sitting at the feet of and learning from the hearts of our senior saints to learn from their wisdom and care for their needs, we'll do it. If it means being devoted to a discipleship group so that we can become communities of disciple makers who love and spur one another on to godliness, we'll do it. If it means we need to create more space for us to welcome and love and disciple people here, we will do it. Because that's what love does, right? That's what love does. And in the love of Christ and neighbor, we'll be zealous for the good works of evangelism and mission. If loving our neighbors means sharing the gospel and good works that represent the gospel to the people in our church neighborhood, well, we'll do it. And if it means sharing the gospel with people in our personal neighborhoods, we'll do it. And in our workplaces and playgrounds and school campuses, athletic fields, in the arts and the music fields, in government, we'll do it. If it means that 50 of us or 75 of us hear the call to plant a church in Odessa or Lubbock or San Angelo or Abilene or Hobbs or Dallas or I don't know, you pick a city. <laughs> we'll do it. Because that's what love does. Eric, would you come? Would you come so that we can close? So, precious ones, it means that in 2023 and beyond, we, we want to help each other look both ways. Christ has come. In fact, let's just, can you do it with what we did with the kids? Can you say it with me? Look both ways. Christ has come. Christ is coming again. And Lord, we pray that in, 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 the, in the period between the two advents, that you would make us a people who are increasingly pure and Christ-like and zealous for good works of ministry and mission. Amen. Would you stand?